The world is full of things that we can't begin to explain. Legends of creatures never seen before, paranormal phenomena, and man's unforgivably cruel nature. Join us as we uncover these stories and explore our morbid curiosity. Let's Let's get get creepy. Hey, creeps. For more information regarding tonight's episode, be sure to check out our website and social media. That's at KCH Podcast on all social media and KCHpodcast.com. Warning, the podcast you're about to listen to is not suitable for all audiences. This episode contains mentions of death, violence, and religious themes. Listener discretion advised. So, Tori. So, Malcolm. We watched a film together last night. Yes, we did. Which, which one are you talking about? The only one that we watched last night. I know. I was just trying to make a joke. It was not a good joke, ma'am. But no, we watched a film last night. And it is, um, you know, a lot of people's favorite film, actually. A lot of people say it's the greatest film that they've seen. Yes. Yes. It is known as a, a classic in its genre, actually. Do you know that? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It came out a while ago. Yeah, and you know, it's funny that you say a while ago, because this movie is about to celebrate its 50th anniversary in two years. That's insane. And watching it, because at least for me, last night was the first time watching it. For me. I don't care. I'll admit it. It was my first time watching it. I've seen, like, bits and pieces, but it's my first time. And this movie is so good. Yeah. Held up amazingly. The writing and even though it's a story that you already know the plot of and everything, it's a really good watch. It's very, very captivating. And the director's cut, I feel like, is the only version to watch. Oh, yeah. Because then you, you know, you get that scene that they they cut out. Right. It's like an important scene. And for those of you who might not know what we're talking about yet, we're talking about The Exorcist. Exorcist. The Exorcist. Fantastic movie, though. Like, it fucked me up a little bit, though. Yeah. Sometimes when I close my eyes, I see the white face. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fun. No. 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 It, yeah. This, this movie, this movie is really good. And it's like, obviously, because doing research, I know like a decent, like a decent amount about it. And just some random facts that I've seen before we even decided to do this. There's some fun stuff that happens. Oh, my God. Yo. All right. So today, a little bit different. We're both kind we're both talking about the same thing today. Yeah. It's like for once, we're actually doing something like the same. (laughs) I know that came out weird, but like I forgot the words I wanted to say in the middle of my sentence. But no, like it's going to be it's going to I think it's cool because we're looking at completely different sides of the movie. Right. So today, Tori is going to be telling us about... what's His name's Ronald Doe, right? It's not Ronald. It's Roland. Okay. Um, <laughs> whatever. I was going based off of memory, you know? Yeah. I was doing... I did pretty well. So was I. I was not looking at... I, every time I read the name, I said Ronald. But then I was, that's Roland. So I don't know if that's actually his name. It could be. It could have been just what they wrote down. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of it was to protect his identity. Yeah. I know that much. Put a pin in that. Yeah. And then on the flip side, I'm talking about the actual film production. This movie is regarded as one of the most cursed movies, film sets, point blank. Like, people still regard this as one of the most cursed films. Well, yeah. It's just knowing even a couple things that happened. It's insane. Yeah. 
when we get into that, it's no wonder as to why it is cursed. As fun and exciting as it being the most cursed movie ever, part of the reason as to why it's cursed is because of the content it's based off of. Yeah, and something that I admire about The Exorcist is that it holds that based on a true story title that so many movies do. But this one actually has a story behind it. There's so many of those movies that are kind of like... So many of those based on a true story is like, all right, let me pick the most minor character from this story and make the whole movie around this minor character that had nothing to do with the event, and it's based on a true story. Or, as I like to think about it, someone took a minor detail from this event that may or may not have happened that was told to them through generations by their grandmother that their grandmother thinks they witnessed. Right, like, and, and it's, it's just so... The smallest thing, and it's like, what? And it wasn't even, like, the full story. It was the side story that no one cared about. It was the B-plot story that no one remembered well. Yeah. They're like, let's go with that. Right. And then oh not actually follow it. Let's do the same name. Right, right. And it'll be, like, based on a true story. And the only similarity will be, like, the character's name. Yeah. But that's not the case with The Exorcist, which I appreciate. Right. I mean, obviously, a lot of the movie and, like, the story was dramatized in order to be better. But it holds a lot of similarities to what happened. At least I know the end credit, like, title, like, cards and everything in the movie. You see that the movie was inspired by William Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist. And he based his story on the writings of a priest that dealt with The Exorcist of Roland Doe. Fun fact, William Blatty was also the writer and producer of the film. He wrote the book in 1971, and then he wanted to do a film adaptation of his own book. Yeah, but that's cool, because that's also, like, one of those things that not a lot of people get to do. Exactly, and a huge hand in the production. Which is really good if you have, like, the actual person who wrote the book do it. It brings your vision there. Yeah. Now, the basis of Roland's story is that in the late 1940s, an anonymous boy had a series of exorcism performed on him from priest of the Roman Catholic Church. And of course, as we said, he was referred to as Roland. And Roland was 14 years old at the time, which obviously is already a young age. It sucks because it's like he was he was young. Yeah. But I mean, he was in like a pretty decent teenage age. But he didn't know much better than what he was doing. First off, I don't think we set a spoiler warning. If that wasn't obvious enough, like, just spoiler warning. But Reagan's 12 in the movie. So it's funny how they kept that really, really young. Like, you're there. You're conscious. You kind of know what's happening. But you're still very young and naive. Yeah, because you don't have that actual, like, responsibility. So you're just kind of like, oh, I'm going to do this. Right. And we'll learn a little bit more about him in a minute. But, like, it's also crazy how he had his exorcisms done by priest Roman Catholic Church. It wasn't even just, like, the Catholic Church or, like, Mm -hmm. anything like that. It was, like, a big deal. Mm -hmm. So the attending priest that told his story was actually uh, Raymond J. Bishop. But we wouldn't actually know as much about Roland if it wasn't for his family's former pastor, Luther Miles Schulze, because he was kind of the one who was believed to out his story to the press. Okay. And, like, kind of be like, hey, 
there's this stuff about this boy that this boy is doing exorcism performed on him. So he got the news and everything and newspapers involved. So like to me, there's almost that thought of what if he never did that? We might not right. have ever heard of his story. That's insane. That's crazy. So that's of of course not confirmed if he was the one who did it. But someone did send anonymous reports for the newspapers to print. The reports being submitted in mid-1949. And it had details about the alleged possession and exorcism. Which it made sense that it might have been him. Mm-hmm. But it could have been anyone. Right, yeah. In one of the accounts that was submitted to the newspapers, it stated that a total of 48 people witnessed the exorcism. Nine of them being Jesuits, which... If you've watched the movie, you've heard the name. That's what the priest's practice was. If not, Jesuits are members of the Society of Jesus, which is a Roman Catholic order of priests founded by St. Ignatius Loyola, St. Francis Xavier, and others in 1534 to do missionary work. And it's an organization that's been around for a long time. So these were like... You know, especially at this time, considered priests who were really devout and fully followed, like, the Roman Catholic Church. Now, again, like I said, Schulze might have been the one who brought media attention to the story. But it was still Raymond J. Bishop who was the one who kept the detailed diary that inspired the works of the exorcist. Now, of course, we do also need to know a little bit about Roland himself. Even though we don't know too, too much, but we do know that Roland was born into a German Lutheran family. His family lived in Cottage City, Maryland, which is where he grew up. He reportedly was an only child and had little to no friends. He primarily depended on his adults in his life for his playmates. His favorite person to play with was his Aunt Harriet. The fun thing about Roland's Aunt Harriet was that she was actually very active into spiritualism. Oh. Yeah, so we can already get a little bit of stuff that's getting into play here. She is actually the one that is said to have introduced him to the spirit world. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So she fully introduced him to the infamous Ouija board as soon as he showed interest in it. And keep in mind, he's 14. Who knows if he was a little younger when she showed him. And it's just like the idea of that. And if you, spoiler warning about the movie, you see at one point they're playing with the Ouija board. And that's the thing too with Ouija boards or with spirit boards is they're not inherently dangerous. No. What becomes dangerous is it's a respect thing demons and spirits and the fae like whatever it is in spiritual practices it needs a degree of respect and there are certain rules with things and especially Ouija boards you're supposed to say hello you're supposed to say goodbye there's certain stuff that you're not supposed to ask you're always supposed to introduce yourself properly like hello my name is Malcolm and I would like to speak to you today and then and then saying thank you for your time goodbye and you're supposed to fully open and close the portals too exactly. like you're supposed to do the whole ritual you're not supposed to just as many people say you're not supposed to just play with it it's right. not a toy like it's advertised as. and especially Ouija boards is it is advertised as a board game as a toy and it's not And it's crazy that it's advertised as such. Fun fact, my mom used to play with a Ouija board when she was a kid. 
I think mine did too. That, it was very popular around like when our yeah. parents were younger. So my mom was born in the 70s. So she was like young kid teenager throughout the 80s. Right. And and that was like one of those kind of like peak popularity times. They also got even more popular after movies like The Exorcist showcase them in the movie. Yeah. But it's also weird. And do you remember the whole YouTube time around showing like Ouija board gone wrong and stuff like that? It really was like a trend at one point. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what was it? Um, Charlie Charlie? Bro. Was that it? Yeah. Oh my God. I never played it. Me but either. like, there's so much. There's just so much. It seemed stupid. So I never so did, played it. It never made sense to me. So right. I was like, oh, why would. Why? And then didn't it turn out to just be like, a publicity stunt for a movie that came out about like the kids in in a school or some shit. I have no idea. I don't remember. I vaguely remember that shit. I don't know. And going back to them having to be used correctly, it could have really been how Roland got possessed if he wasn't using it correctly. If right. he wasn't properly saying hello, properly saying goodbye, closing the portals, properly respecting it. That's how he could have got possessed. Well, especially as a young kid. And also depending on how much he used it. Right. And it may have not even been him being disrespectful. It may have just been him forgetting to do stuff. Or getting too comfortable with it and just being like, ah, whatever. Or just exactly how they played with it in the movie. They just had it out and then started talking to Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy. That's not very nice. It's also thought that... With him playing with it and him being so young and naive, not even just being forgetful, like maybe he could have been completely respectful of it and done everything correctly, but him being young and naive makes him very susceptible to evil and malicious spirits. Mm -hmm. They are very cunning. They are very good at... Manipulating. Yeah, that's (laughs) kind of the name of the game for them. So... You never know, especially if he's playing alone. He's not not paying attention, but he's being manipulated by the spirit. He's going to let it in without realizing. So now, you know, that might be how he was possessed and everything. But how did his family know he was possessed? Yeah. Yeah. Because I know in in The Exorcist, it it took him a fucking minute. Yeah, which it really shouldn't have. Well, I mean... Let's not get into that right now. Something we got into a little bit. Uh, oh, we were watching it <laughs> and, uh, last week. Yeah, <laughs> but time period made sense. Understand, not right, but whatever. His family really started to notice that it happened as soon as his aunt Harriet passed away. Oh, little distressed Roland. And now keep this in mind, too, going back to him playing with the Ouija board. He could have been trying to contact his Aunt Harriet. Yeah. Something. And especially having a kid, as we talked about, young and naive, and then being in a state of grieving, super easy target. Yeah, especially if he's trying to contact his aunt, something is going to go out there and be like, oh, yeah, I'm your Aunt Harriet. Now let me in. Your mother's with us, too, Damien. Oh, my God, stop. (laughs) Not too, not too long after her death, the family started hearing strange noises throughout the house. They also started experiencing objects levitating within the room that Roland was in. Along with random objects flying around, furniture would move on its own. As soon as this started happening, the family turned to their Lutheran pastor we talked about before. 
Schulze was actually very interested in parapsychology, which is the study of alleged psychic phenomena and other paranormal claims. This led Schulze to having Roland spend a night at his house so that he could observe his behaviors. Hmm. Okay. Which makes sense, but yeah. also when I was reading it, I was like, yeah, that's a little weird. A little, you know, feels a little weird, but it also does make sense if this kid is showing, like, signs like this. During this observation, Schulze claimed to witness household objects and furniture moving on its own. That's when he advised the family to see a Catholic priest. Because he, I guess, realized this was definitely something... Something serious. And something more than he could handle or deal with. From here, Roland is said to have gone through a series of exorcisms. One of those being performed by a Roman Catholic priest, Edward Hughes. He conducted the exorcism at Georgetown University Hospital, which was a Jesuit institution. Now we finally really get into the exorcisms of Roland. Alrighty. Most exciting part. Yes, definitely. Of course, there wasn't too, too much that I found. Even like no matter how many things I looked at, it kind of all kind of was really basic about it. But during this exorcism, Roland was able to slip one of his hands out of the wrist restraints. From here, he broke and ripped out a bedspring from under the mattress, which he then used as a weapon to slash open the priest's arm. Jesus. So, you know, showing those feats of strength. Violence. Just outwardly, completely against the exorcism. But this, of course, since he just now slashed open the priest's arm, stopped the exorcism. Right. This led the family to traveling to St. Louis, where Roland's cousin contacted Bishop, the priest we were talking about before. He was one of Roland's cousin's professor at St. Louis University. That's how he kind of like knew the family and was able right. to contact him, which I think is pretty interesting. But Bishop kind of knew he couldn't do this alone. So he partnered with William S. Bodern, who he was an associate of the college church. Together, the two priests visited Roland in his relative's home. So I would like to say how it is a college church, just like how in the movie... It was a college church and how it was kind of like a senior with someone assisting, just like in the film. Like, they actually took, like, a decent amount from this story. Yeah, they really did. A lot of it was just they kind of switched around. Obviously, they made a little girl instead of a little boy. They A little bit more violent. Yeah. And some scenes, if you know what I'm talking about, were definitely not something that happened. Yeah. So... The priests are visiting Roland in the home in St. Louis. Here is where they observed a shaking bed, flying objects, and Roland speaking in a guttural voice. So taking even more into the film, okay. He also exhibited an aversion to anything that was considered sacred. Spirit water. Or spirit water. <laughs> Fucking holy water. Holy water, crosses, anything. Just did not like it. Based on their findings in this visit... They were actually able to grant that permission needed for them to perform the exorcism. Kind of like that, how they showed in the right. movie. Like, to perform an exorcism, you have to get permission from the church. Which I think is a little interesting. I think it also just blesses the ceremony further. Yeah, I guess so. It has, like, the backing of the church behind right. it. And it's not just some priest running around doing whatever he feels like. It is, like, you know, I have gotten proof from the highest council. I've gotten permission to do this thing. And you do. You end up having the whole church backing and supporting you on it. 
Yeah, which definitely makes it more powerful. Definitely. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Now, unlike in the movie where they did it in her room, they took Roland to a hospital. They took him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis, Missouri. Before the exorcism even began, though, they called in even more reinforcements. They called in another priest, Walter Halloran, in order to assist Bodern while in the psychiatric wing of the hospital. So very interesting place to have the uh, exorcism. But it also, I'm thinking about this now, it made sense considering that, like, he was, if or with, with him doing it there, it kind of got muddled in with all the other crazy sounds and everything yeah. in the hospital. Yeah. And I think it's funny, too, that it took place in the psychiatric ward. And throughout the movie, the entire thing is Reagan is psychotic. She gets diagnosed with ADHD and prescribed Ritalin. And the doctors, even when Miss McNeil is at her wit's end and needs an answer, they're like, well, they sometimes will perform this thing called an exorcism. And it is a spiritual ceremony that a lot of times people who are having these delusions believe it frees them of the spirit that they're imagining is possessing them. Yeah, and it was very much, this is all in your head, basically, because she witnessed it happening, and they were saying, ah, nah. Well, because nothing was showing, and then also it was a woman, it was a mother, and it was a female, her daughter, so why would all these male doctors listen to what they have to say? I don't know. Some things never change. Yeah. But it totally makes sense that it was in a psych ward. Yeah, it really does. So fun facts, too, about this, as if they didn't have enough support, another Jesuit priest by the name of William Van Roe was also attending the exorcism. So you have these three Jesuit priests in a psych ward ready to fuck shit up. I mean, because it's a 14-year-old it's boy. They want to save this kid's life, you know? So you need as much as you can get. Because also, as you see in the movie, the first priest dies, you need the second priest there in case something like that happens. Yeah, and it you don't know what's going to happen. And as we saw with him ripping out the box spring from his bed, as he was originally tied up and cutting open the priest's arm who was originally doing his first exorcism, you will exhibit strength that you don't know you have. And yeah, he's 14, but he's also 14. Like, he has some natural strength just from puberty and then pair that on with the strength of a spirit or a demon. Yeah, I mean, he was an only child who relied on his adults in his life to play with. He wasn't probably a very strong child. He was probably very sheltered, very weak almost. But, yeah, considering that his strength that he was gaining from testosterone and then the strength of the spirit, like, the spirit alone, they make the feats of strength insane. Insane. So you do. You need backup in that situation, whether it's because, you know, one of your priests get killed or because they need more people to hold them down or because they need someone to go and run and grab sedation or whatever it is. You need people there around you to have your back through something like that. Yeah. So here's another t kind of like tie to the movie a little bit. 
Halloran stated that during the exorcism, words such as evil and hell, along with other malicious marks, appeared on Roland's body. Mm. It is also said that during the litany of Sate's portion of the exorcism, Roland's mattress began to shake. To make matters worse, Roland then broke Halloran's nose during the ritual. God damn. But that was pretty much the most that happened, or at least that is recorded that happened during the whole ritual. Because after that, it's pretty much that Roland went on to actually live a rather normal life. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. At least this was according to Halloran. There was no second movie for him? No, there was no second. At least I hope not. Right. Could you imagine? Fuck. I wonder if, though, being possessed opens you up because you're going to kind of like, it's almost like scars. Right. Once you sprain your ankle once, it's much easier to do it again. Yeah. Weakens you. It makes you fragile. So it's like if a spirit is seeking out someone to possess, they're going to find someone who has a crack in their walls that are up against being possessed. Mm -hmm. But from what we know, Roland lived a a pretty normal (laughs) life. I don't it didn't say anything about if he remembered it or not. Okay, tying it back into the movie. and yeah. I don't know if I believe that Reagan doesn't know. No, it didn't. To me, it didn't seem like it. Especially with, um, at the end of the film, her, like, kissing the priest on the cheek and everything. And I'm sure there's some stuff that she doesn't remember. But it, it's kind of like, I don't know. It also might just be kind of how, with people with DID, when someone is fronting, the other alters don't, have recollection of what was happening when one person was fronting. At least all the time. At least I, all the I know time. I've heard of some that like understand what's Vaguely, happening. Vaguely, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've had people where where they've described it as feeling like they just woke up and all of a sudden stuff was different. Yeah, which that's horrifying. That sounds horrifying, but really, like things seem very similar, mm-hmm. especially with the demon and everything saying like. Oh, yeah, she's in here with us and stuff like that. And that supports my the idea for me that she remembers. Well, also, though, because from what I remember is Reagan, as she has this demon who is kind of like fronting inside of her, this demon is in particular kind of fucking with Karis. The, the priest Karis, the original priest who first sees Reagan and first is like, no fuck, she really does need an exorcism performed. His mother had just died. Yeah. And the demon possessing Reagan goes, she's in here with us. Your mother is here with us. And Reagan had no knowledge that his mother had just died and had no information on her in any way, shape, or form and and makes mentions and makes passes about it to Karis, to Father Karis. It's, I mean, it could be, like, one of those things where, like, some bits they know, some bits they don't. I don't know. I mean, okay, so I'm going to supernatural geek this for a second. There is a moment where, spoiler alert, if you watch Supernatural and you're not that far into the show. I forget what season it is, but um, Dean gets possessed by another world's version of, um, I want to say Michael. Like, like, um... Saint Mike, like like um God's son, yeah, Archangel okay. Michael or whatever. I, I I don't know if that's actually. I don't think that's. I'm for the sake of me right now. I'm just gonna say Michael. He gets possessed, or not possessed, but um, like lets him in, 
and it's supposed to be like a deal and he's supposed to let him go after something but doesn't let him go dean lives as this like entity walks around and his, uses his body to live on earth and kill a bunch of people and like do a bunch of crazy stuff but dean remembered every second of it he was just basically like in his own mind watching yeah yeah, like watching someone else control his body so it's like i wonder if that's how it was but she says that she didn't remember it yeah i'm sure that there's stuff that she genuinely didn't but i feel like there there has to be some stuff that she did oh yeah especially because of how many times she was like genuinely you can tell it was her screaming like help me or even on her skin when it showed the help me that's her from inside begging for help because you know like the demon's not gonna write that on her why why would you want that like why you don't want that exactly exactly So they definitely did a lot of keeping it pretty similar, like bed shaking and stuff like that with the movie. And like, that's why I really appreciate The Exorcist is because even though they made it so crazy and everything, and like, if you've seen the movie, you know so much that happens in that movie. That's like, wow. Every second, like every scene (laughs) that something crazy happened. Holy shit. And, like, some of the scenes that I knew were coming and I knew were going to happen. Watching it unfold is really intense. And, again, if you haven't gathered it from this point, the whole thing is that this 12-year-old girl, Reagan, gets possessed and these two priests come and save her. And they perform an exorcism on her. This movie sparked a lot of controversy for so many reasons. Oh, yeah. A lot of it having to do with the depiction of religion, a lot of it having to do with the main character being a 12-year-old girl, the actress who played Reagan, Linda Blair. She was 14 at the time of filming. And this movie struggled to be made. This movie, I don't think, was supposed to actually ever be made. Really? Yeah. So, first off, we said that it was based off of... We said that it was based off of Blatty's book, The Exorcist. The book was a bestseller. Though the entire time that they were trying to make the movie, they had an unbelievably hard time casting anyone. Major stars all turned down offers. Most of the main cast became unknown. Ellen Burstyp as Chris McNeil, Linda Blair as Reagan, and Jason Miller as Father Karras. Miller had had no film experience, but he was the author of a hit play, The Championship Season. And Warner Brothers Studios, the people who distributed the film, they did not make casting any easier as studio executives would constantly oppose their choices for casting. That's annoying. Yeah. So they had a bunch of A-listers that they wanted to do it. And for whatever reason, they said no. I have a little bit more information about the casting specifically on our website because I found it funny. Some of the A-listers that like were offered parts that turned it down or that couldn't do it for whatever reason. But it ended up being a lot of unknown casts. And Warner Brothers didn't love that everyone was super unknown. I think, like, thinking about it in retrospect, I think it's better that it wasn't A-listers. Oh, for sure. Because you don't have a preconceived notion about the actors and actresses. Mm -hmm. 
you don't have these other characters in mind while you're watching this. It was very genuine. Yeah. Pretty much. It really was. And it worked really well. It's just such a shame with how many setbacks they had during production. Oh, please tell me more. So the film ended up not only doubling its initial budget that it was approved for, it also doubled their original scheduled production time. Doubled. So originally the budget for the film was $5 million. Not a big budget. It yeah. ended up costing $12 million to produce. Jeez. Want to know how much is in the box office? $441 million in the box office. Fucking insane. That's that's crazy. This is not one of those horror movies that only got popular after the fact. Like, this movie was popular when it first came out, which is not common for horror movies. No, but think about this. This, this was one of the first really, like, eye-catching, sort of. Because think about it, The Exorcist. Especially this time, it's still that wary period of religion where... Not as many people are rebelling from religion. Mm -hmm. People went to church on Sundays. And not only that, but horror never depicted this kind of shit. That's what I was about to get into. Like, it's it's one of those things that people wanted to see because it's part of something that is still a touchy subject. Right. So it's like, what could this really be about? Right. Which the touchy subject of religion is why people believe the film is cursed. So I think the best place to start on what happened is the why of it. So not only was it based on the true events that we already heard of Roland there, the film also depicted some things a little bit too accurately. So William Peter Blatty did his fucking research and he had an eye for accuracy when he was kind of writing out the story including using real-world examples like Pazuzu. Right there is where you mess up. <laughs> right. So the film opens in northern Iraq, a region tied to the dangerous king of demons from Mesopotamian folklore. He is known for drought, famine, and the bearer of storms. And now you're going to take that known evil demon spirit king, and you're going to partner that with the real exorcism case you get some powerful forces. Blatty also made sure he had accurate information about how a Catholic exorcism would be performed. He'd ask different priests and things about their opinion and got extra details about shit. Which also appreciate that oh, God, so yeah. much. Because again, that's one of those things with Sony movies, especially horror movies. They don't do the research they mm -mm. should. And it's insane to me. It's one of those things where it's like so many of these people said, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. Don't do this. Here's the information, but you really shouldn't be doing this. Or he had to go through so many to like get the information because everyone said no. There's so many different shows, so many different movies that do that, but not enough. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Because there's so many things that should be depicted better in media, and it's not. And taking that extra step to consult an expert goes a long way. It shows. And actually using that information, not just kind of saying you did it and then not use the information. Exactly. And little fun fact for you, during the movie's release, the Pope made a statement about the film. What did he say? So Pope Paul said demonology is an important part of Catholic doctrine that really ought to be studied again. The freaking a pope 
commented on the movie, and him commenting on it created so much more buzz around the film. Well, yeah, of course it would. Yeah, though uh, moviegoers were not quite prepared for what they were about to get into when oh. they went and saw this film. Oh, no. Yeah. I just thought about watching this on the big screen. And this being one of the most gruesome horror films to come out to date. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're ready to get into that can of worms? Whoa. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's really hard because when you are watching this film today, we caught it twice yesterday. You can see wires. You know what I mean? Like some of the effects just, you know, amazing for the time, but don't hold up super well. So when we, as people of the 21st century, are watching films like this, sometimes we don't appreciate what they did at the time. Original moviegoers, <laughs> that was not the case. This was one of the most gruesome things that had been shown on on screen at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, hear me out before you get in a little bit more. I don't know if you know, like, you probably do. I don't know if everyone else does. The subliminal messaging that's in that freaking movie, the flash screens of the white face and the demon and stuff like that. There's apparently drawings that Reagan did that lead you to believe she's already possessed before she shows signs of it. Oh, my God. And they layered so many eerie sounds together. And played them in the background of the movie so that you felt uneasy the entire time. And imagine that in surround sound in the theater. Fucking insane. Fuck. <laughs> I mean, no wonder why people fainted during the movie. Yo, oh my God. And it gets fucking, it gets fucking worse. So yeah, one, people fainted during showing of this movie. Yeah. People literally fainted. It was at a point where certain theaters offered vomit bags while people were watching. Makes with the with those that idea of like the sounds and like the pictures and stuff. Also some of the stuff that happens in there, I mean I get it. I would vomit too. And an audience member fainted while watching and he broke his jaw and sued Warner Brothers. Bro. I mean, makes sense if he clenched his jaw before he fainted and, like, hit it and or then, like, whatever. Yeah, even if he just hit his jaw, like, if he landed on his face and hit his jaw. The film opened the day after Christmas, 1973, and massive, massive crowds. Within a matter of weeks, stories of people fainting and vomiting started to circulate. There were also reports of disturbing nightmares or reportedly a number of theater ushers had to be placed under a doctor's care or quit their jobs after experiencing successive showings of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. I could not watch this movie like a shit ton of times. No. And then to excessively watch it. And like imagine you're doing like a four night in a row shift mm -hmm. and think about how many times they play the movie within that shift. And you're there right. for it multiple and it, times. And it ran for several weeks. Like, this had a long runtime in theaters. Makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if they extended it. Right. And the more stories that people heard about it, the more people wanted to go and see it. People even said that the devil lived within the actual film that was being used to show it, to project the, the movie. Jeez. And that showing the movie would open a portal that demons could enter through. Don't tell me that. 
Don't don't tell me that part. Not after we just watched it last night. Don't don't do that. But to we me. watched it off of Amazon. We didn't watch it through a film. I'll accept that. I'll accept that. <laughs> but all of that stuff was after production. What about during production? Oh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So first off, there were a total of nine deaths reported surrounding the film, most of which were off screen or like relatives of people who were working on the film. But one of the most notable of the nine was actor Jack McGowan, who played Burke Dennings. He died one week after filming his character's death scene. And he died from influenza right before the movie was released. And it was his last ever film. That's crazy. I mean, he didn't look that great in the movie. No, he was he was a little bit on the older side. He wasn't crazy old at the time or anything, but he was on the older side. I think he was in, in his 50s or 60s. But still, but like, no, I mean, like he looked like... Sick. Yeah. Which, I mean, it made sense with his character. Mm-hmm. You know, Linda Blair, the girl who played Reagan, her grandfather died during production. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, a cameraman or a gentleman who worked with the lighting, one of the departments someone died in, and Jason Miller, who played Father Karras, almost lost his son during filming. Wow. His son was struck down by a motorcyclist, but thankfully survived. Wow. Yeah, his son was sitting on a bench and got hit by a motorcycle and survived. I mean, thank God. Like, wow. Seriously. I And it's so much. And first, we'll get into Linda Blair a little bit more. But remember that emotional toll of her losing her grandfather, too, through this. Yo, I was just about to say, filming this, like, as herself, like, as a 14-year-old. We will get into that shit. Put a pen in... The whole last page of my research is all about Linda Blair, my friend. All right, we will get there. We will get there. We will get there. On top of the death, we have injury, though. In New York, while working on the set, a carpenter accidentally cut off his thumb. A lighting technician lost a toe. Both Ellen Burstein, Chris McNeil, and Linda Blair, Reagan, sustained serious injury. Ellen wrenched her back badly during the scene where she was slapped by the possessed Reagan, and she was laid up in bed for several weeks delaying production. Linda Blair went through hell and back with this role. Blair ended up with permanent spinal injury from filming. She would be strapped into a harness during her exorcism scenes, and while violently thrashing, the harness would repeatedly hit her spine. The 14-year-old faced so many issues while filming. She was often put in extremely dangerous or uncomfortable positions. That right there is crazy. Absolutely fucking insane. And again, we'll get into Reagan a little bit more. I have some other information that I want to do first because I feel like we're going to talk so much about about Linda Blair after this. We haven't even gotten into the worst accident on set, though, yet. Oh, God. What could... What could get worse? The one that most people know. The set caught on fire. Around 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning, the McNeil house caught on fire and burned down almost completely. The weirdest part about the whole thing, Reagan's bedroom was completely untouched by the fire. Bet. 
Now, granted, her bedroom was a little bit further from the house set. It wasn't completely attached, but it wasn't far away from it. Yeah, like anything could have transferred the fire over. The cause of the fire was never quite pinned down, but they believe it was due to an issue with the electrical circuit. Okay. The set delayed production for another six weeks. The set had to be completely reconstructed from scratch. And when they finally finished it, guess what happened? What? The sprinkler system broke. Another two-week delay. Jeez. That's crazy. And of course, after they just rebuilt the set that burned down, the sprinkler system broke. The only thing that would save it if it were to start a fire again. Another of the, I don't know if you could really call this accidents, but another issue that ended up delaying production was they were going to film on location in Iraq. They they had a, a trip planned. And originally it was planned for the spring, which is relatively cool in Iraq. It ended up getting delayed to July, the hottest part of the summer. Amazing. When the temperatures rose to 130 degrees and higher. Ugh. Out of the 18-man crew that was there, the director lost services of nine of them at one time or another due to dysentery or sunstroke. To make matters worse, the bronze statue of the winged demon Pazuzu, which was packed in a 10-foot crate, got lost in an air shipment from Los Angeles and ended up in Hong Kong, which caused another two-week delay. Dude, Okay, hear me out, though. This is a side note. How do things keep getting lost in air transit? It gets checked in wrong. gets on the wrong flight. You know what I mean? It's crazy that it's, like, something that was, like, such a big prop for the movie. Right. Because you would think that would it would have all been on one private plane for the movie. So things kept going so wrong and got so bad that the director began to take some drastic measures. Father Thomas Birmingham from the Jesuit community at Fordham University had been hired as a technical advisor for the film, along with Father John Nicola, who, while not a Jesuit, had been taught by Jesuit theologians at St. Mary of the Lake Seminary in Illinois. The director came to the priest and asked him to exercise the set. The priest was unable to perform an actual exorcism, but he did give a blessing ceremony that was attended by everyone that worked on the set. People then say that nothing else happened on the set after the blessing. But around that time, there was a fire in the Jesuit residence set in Georgetown. It's It had to go somewhere. Finally, we get into the post-production weirdness before we go back into Linda Blair. There were strange images and visions that showed up on the film that were never planned, the director later claimed. There are double exposures in the little girl's face at the end of one reel that are unbelievable. And, like, I know they also have, like, planned ones. Like, do you know what I'm talking about with the white face? Yeah. So, like, you know how that shows up every so often? Yeah. Like, Like, that was fully planned. Like, that was... And do you know that was supposed to be her makeup? That was supposed to be her final demon makeup. Hmm. But it, they figured it was too scary. So they kind of just like... I liked what it was better. Oh, and I yeah. liked the idea of that being the face of the demon. Yeah. Who is inside of Reagan. Yeah. I think that it ended up being better. 
So now let's get back to Linda Blair, right? This poor girl. <laughs> Fucking hell and back with this role. I want you to picture Reagan's costume. It's literally just a nightgown. Yeah. During filming, the temperatures on set would regularly drop below zero. Jeez. So that way they could capture on film the actor's breath. Linda Blair was the only person on the entire set not properly dressed and equipped for that cold of a temperature. She was freezing the entire time. Well, it made her shivering authentic. (laughs) (laughs) Now let's talk about her makeup process. Two to five hours every day. That's so much. So fucking much. Like that's like some of the newer things that they do now that are even more detailed than that will take around the same time. Mm -hmm. That's insane. And she's 14. Yeah. And she would do that every single day. You figure in the movie, most of the scenes, she has some form of something going on, whether it's like cuts on her or she's covered in blood or whatever, or towards the end when she really has like all of that deep sunken in scarring and everything. Also, the stunts that she was doing were really fucking dangerous for a kid her age. Oh, she literally received a permanent spinal injury. That's insane. It's absolutely. And after release, nothing let up for her. She became the face of controversy, mainly due to her age and the content of the film. But it got so bad that she actually received death threats. Death threats. She was 14 Not for nothing, but she probably didn't have as much say in this movie as others did. Literally none. She was just an actress. Like Yeah, she was a child actress. This was her first feature-length film, and the director wasn't... He wasn't, like, a dick about it, but he was very... No, you need to get this right. Yeah, well, he was very Exactly. He was very anal about things being the way that he wanted them to be. Yeah. And... Linda Blair in later interviews said that she actually ended up having a mental breakdown during filming. I mean, I would too. The things she went through, the fact that like she had her own stunts herself, mm-hmm. like that's insane. Most adults don't do that. Yeah, I think there's a handful of stunts that she didn't do, but all of the like writhing and shaking, her levitating off the bed, all of that stuff she did herself. That was all her. It, it was absolutely insane. And this movie is cursed. All of the actors and crew and everything like that all say about the weird fucking shit that they experienced. The weird feelings that they had. The content and material being so, so heavy. Nothing had ever been like it. And I don't think anything has ever matched up to The Exorcist. Well, I mean, not even to even add on. Freaking, there was a serial killer on set. Yeah, there sure was. And he massaged Linda Blair's shoulders. Yep. Yeah, uh, one of the nine deaths, someone someone got shot. One of the crew members got shot. That's, poor Linda. Like, that's... It's just she, she lost her grandfather during that. She, and she, yeah, keep in mind, she was 14 when that happened. And then she's going through this traumatic-ass movie. Yeah. Which she did phenomenal. Oh my God, yeah. The only thing that Linda Blair regrets, and regret isn't even the right term, but she ended up after this film, she kept getting typecasted as the innocent victim. Yeah. And she didn't love that. 
She was in a TV show between the first Exorcist and the second Exorcist. And then the second Exorcist, she reprised her role as Reagan and gets possessed again. Which I've never seen that either. But my theory from the end of the director's cut of the uh, movie is that because they have the necklace still, something was attached to the necklace. So oh, I, don't, sure. I don't know if that's the basis of the movie, but that's what I'm going to think until I watch the movie. Right. Yeah. Honestly, because that's that feels like what it would be. Because it was the necklace that they found in Iraq. Yeah. It was such a good movie. It's such a good movie. Yeah, seriously. If you haven't seen the movie, going into it the first time, you think that you know what's going to happen. You think that you know everything about it. You think that even if you haven't seen it, because everyone's heard some of the like most famous lines. People have seen like the most famous scenes, things like that. Still watch it because it will still surprise you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew about certain scenes. And when they came up, I was like, holy. I was shocked. It's a good movie. And it's like how much they show is, dude, it's worth watching. But don't watch it super late at night like we did. (laughs) Because it wasn't super late. We started at like 10 o'clock. But it was dark. It was dark. It was very dark. And then we closed the blinds even more so that the streetlight outside wasn't shining in. It was Dark, bro. All right. It was dark. I thought I wasn't going to sleep. I thought I wasn't going to be able to sleep. I slept like a baby. Oh, my God, dude. I never get hit by horror movies like that, man. I really, oh, God. I used to. And I just am so I don't know. desensitized, I guess. I guess. Something something about it still, just, it's the imagery that scares me. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, the contents as much. It's the imagery. I get you. The thing that that messed me up the most was the, like, flashes of the white face. Yeah, you freaked out with those they ones. They scared me because they that's things that scare me. That's something I deal with where, like, sometimes I'll, like, see, like, scary faces. Like, when, when I close my eyes. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. Um, No, but, like, genuinely, like, I'm okay. But, like, that's something that, like just my brain freaks me out sometimes right but like that like added to it like sometimes especially now that we're talking about it right now when I close my eyes I see the picture of the white face that's how I was uh the first time that I saw the Babadook oh my god all right that's the next one that we're watching any other horror movie recommendations for us guys anything you want to torture me with because I'm gonna be a little bitch about it next one's gonna be the Babadook I promise maybe we'll have to start a uh like Insta story series of Malcolm recording <laughs> me freaking out to during talk. horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. No, though. Like seriously, any other horror movies? Any other haunted movies that you guys know of? Um, have you seen The Exorcist yet? Did we? Yet? Just... Like it's not fucking hasn't been out for fifty years. <laughs> hey, I mean, some people. I just get haven't. it. I get it. Did we just spoil the whole thing for you? Did us talking about it pique your interest? Were you not going to watch it before and you are going to watch it now? You know, listen, I think I think that, you know, us as your favorite podcasters deserve to know that information. Speaking about being your favorite podcasters, we absolutely love making the show and you guys make this so unbelievably worth it. One of the best ways that you can support us, as always, is going to be going through word of mouth telling people who you think are going to like it that we're here and that we do this and that we post every single Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and tweeting us, sharing us, all that good stuff. If you feel up to it, you can also check out our Patreon. 
You know, we love to see that there. Uh, and finally, we got we got a treat for y'all. Yes, we do. And, you know, it has to do with treats. Because if you like treats, but don't like getting off your couch or your bed, wherever, wherever you're laying. If you don't want to leave the house or put on pants. Just order that ish. And the how how are they ordering it, Tori? Well, they're gonna go to our link for Instacart. And where is that link located? It's on our website. As well as all social media? Oh yeah. If you use our link and it's your first time and you're a new customer and your first order, you get free shipping on your first order of $35 or more. Oh, that's so easy to hate. Oh, yeah, especially if you're just loading up on snacks for your next movie night. God, especially with everybody getting vaccinated and everything now, we can finally have movie nights and everything. Bust out that projector, order a shit ton of snacks, movies, drinks, all of that fun stuff delivered right to your door with free delivery. That sounds too good to be true. Really is. And it's awesome. Go hit that link. (laughs) Bet. Do it. Awesome. And most importantly of all, guys, you know, we, like I said, we appreciate you guys so much. And above all else, got to make sure that you all stay stay creepy. creepy.